All right, the, uh, the scripture for today is from uh, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Uh, so if you're able, please uh, stand for the reading of the word. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. Thanks, Joel. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm taking a risk here, assuming that you all pay attention to what's going on around us. And because um, I want to have a little bit of audience participation today, it, um, uh, mainly because I don't like listening to the sound of my own voice, contrary to popular opinion. Okay. Now, how many of you, or who can tell me what famous personality made a trip close to the outer edges of our atmosphere last week? William Shatner, all right. Now, what was the name of the craft he was on? The blue, what? Origin, okay. Now, I wanna ask about, about uh, events in the past. How many of you can remember two spacecraft that were launched 16 days apart, oh, approximately 44 years ago. Any takers on that one? Not Apollo, no. Good guess. How about Voyager? How many knows what the Voyagers are? Voyager 1, Voyager 2. They were launched to go the distance away from our planet that they would no longer be within the gravitational pull of the sun, of the sun. It took them a little less than 44 years to get there. I'm going to be trying to encourage you to think of the glory and grandeur of God this morning. So I want you to think about this. How many of you remember anything that happened in 1970? How many of you were around in 1977? Come on, let's get serious here. <laughs> now, how many of you remember any, any current event that you could think of that, was, that would have made the news? What do you remember from 1977? Star Wars. Star Wars. Amazing, isn't it? How culturally significant. Anything else? Dale, Dale, you should remember this. Where are you? Where are you? I saw you just a minute ago. That's when Focus on the Family started. Okay. Does anybody remember who the U.S. president was? I'm not going to ask about the prime minister. Jimmy Carter. Sports fans. Who won the Super Bowl? Come on, Jar, you got this one, don't you? Nope. Nope. I have it right here, hang on, it's in small print. I have to take my glasses off. I, uh, I'm not a huge football fan, but if I am a fan of any NFL team, it is the winners of the 1977 Super Bowl, the Oakland Raiders. Yay, go Raiders. Um, now, I ask you these questions not uh, to, to get us thinking about how insignificant, quite frankly, a lot of the stuff is that goes on in our lives. It doesn't carry a lot of weight. I want you to think about the grandeur of God. Think about this, that the Voyager, which took 44 years to get out of the gravitational pull of the sun, was traveling approximately, Voyager 2 this is, approximately at 35,000 miles an hour. 
Got that? 35,000 miles an hour. At that speed, can anybody guess how long in years it would take Voyager to travel one light year? Anybody, rough estimate. Take a stab. How many? 10,000, close, but no cigar. Actually, well, maybe not even close. So you gotta go higher. Anybody else? No, that's a bit too high. Okay, a little over 19,000 years at that speed to go one light year. Anybody wanna take a guess how wide the visible universe that we can detect is? A little bit more than 93 million light years or some crazy thing, 40, yeah, it's insane. Let's put it that way. And yet in the psalm that we read, the psalmist tells us that that's the work of God's fingers. It's the work of his fingers. In other places it tells us that he just spoke and it came into being. That's what I want you to keep in the back of your mind. Who is the God that we serve? More particularly, who is the God we pray to? Because that's what Paul's going to be talking about here. So I want to read our passage again, but before we do, let's pray, and we'll get into this. Father, um, on this passage that is instructing us about prayer and about our prayers, I ask that your spirit would be with us to uh, bring to us what we need to hear, to encourage us that you are guiding and leading us into what is best for us, and that we would see and experience the joy that there is in rejoicing in you and worshiping you in the salvation you have provided in Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, I want to read our passage again. If you haven't turned to it already, first, Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23, reads this way. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. One of the things I really experienced uh, as I was preparing this message is that sense of realizing the gap that exists between what I know and what I actually do. Anybody with me there? You know? Do you, do you find that there are lots of areas where you know much more about your faith than what you actually practice and put into and walk out in your life? Or am I the only one that kind of, that, that's sort of the widening horizon in my life, it seems like. The more I get to know who God is, the more I realize, uh-oh, I don't seem to be going in the right direction. And you know, that contrast really stands out when I look at what Paul prays for. What is actually what is astoundingly startling and stunning is that Paul and I went to the totally different seminars on prayer. You know, it's amazing what he does not ask for 
and yet dominates my prayer life. And I want to see if, if the same is for you. I want you to keep track of that, okay? He does not pray for material concerns or material things. It's interesting. There's almost a total lack of that in his prayers. One author put it this way, people and too many Christians are fixated on tangible things, but Paul's prayers do not focus on stuff or on our comfort, our health, our shelter, wealth, achievements, fitness, levels, or friends. He doesn't pray about anything like that. So to the point, what does he pray for? Okay. You know, what, also one of the great contrasts I found this week in my life that is different between Paul's prayers and mine, and maybe this is just for me, but how often do you pray for protection? Right? For your kids, for your grandkids, if you have any, for yourself, for people you love, people you know. You know, you think of the Apostle Paul. I, I would like you this afternoon, go read uh, 2 Corinthians 11, chapter 11, verses 24 through 27. And Paul is talking, defending his apostleship, and he begins to boast. And what does he boast in? Does anybody remember? Anybody? Uh, not so much in his sickness. He boasts about how many times he's been beaten how many dangers he faces. You know, uh, if anybody in Scripture, well, okay, let's put it this way. Uh, Paul in Scripture does seem to be a guy who needs protection. He's always in spots that really aren't beneficial for him or seemingly beneficial. And yet, how many of you can point to any passage where Paul asks people to pray for him for protection? Or can you find any passages where Paul prays for his own protection? Now, this is not to say that he disregards physical things. He will go on at the end of, of chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians and tell people to bring certain stuff, okay? Or at the end of some of his epistles, he will say, you know, tell this person to bring my winter cloak or bring the parchments and the scrolls, things like that. So it's not that he has no concern for his physical things, but they are not a priority and they do not show up in his prayers. And so when I, so all that to tell you, uh, I feel like I should be sitting with you as well, hearing this message myself, for it convicted me. Uh, I hazard a guess that far greater, at least if, uh, far greater than for most of you, let's put it that way. Okay, so in our passage, I have broken it down into the first two verses, 15 and 16, which is the report and the response of Paul to that report from the Ephesians. And then verses 17 through 19, you have the content of his prayers and the focus of his prayers. And that's what I want us to really look at this morning. And then finally, I think one of the startling things to me is, personally, I think he shifts into praying and worshiping at the same time, verses 20 through 23. So my goal is basically <clears throat> to persuade you from this passage to adopt a new priority in prayer, or new priorities in prayer, and to focus upon three things. Basically, who we pray to, that will be, he will be identified as the Father of glory, what we pray for, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and then finally, why do we pray all that? so that we will glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with everything we need in the Spirit. So let's turn to verses 15 and 16. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is, uh, you know, uh, I really thank Paul for this, these two verses, because they're very easy to understand, and they're a good warm-up, okay? If you turn back to verse 13, Paul talks to these, Paul uh, 
reminds these people that they have heard the gospel and they have believed. Okay? And now, they will be hearing this book read out to them in, their, in the equivalent of their worship service. And so they're going to hear that he has a concern for them. He has heard about their faith, that they have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's heard about them acting according to their faith and loving one another. And now they're going to hear that he is concerned for them and he's praying for them. And so that tees up everything. That sets up everything. Don't you wish you had Paul giving you an introduction? You know, much shorter, to the point, than mine. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so he says, I remember you in my prayers. And so we're going to go on to the focus and content. The first phrase, and this one really struck me, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that just kind of stopped me. I think on the second or third reading when I was preparing, so way, way back for me, that really stopped me. I said, what, what does he mean by this? You know, why is that there? The Father of glory. And not only did it just stand out, it stood out to me for other reasons. One is because if, if you were following, how many of you, by the way, okay, another participation thing, show of hands, how many of you are following the Read Scripture app that Jer recommended? Are you? Great. How many of you read Psalm 8, the psalm that we read this morning about a week or so ago, right? Did you notice, you know, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your glory is where? Can you recall? Your glory is above the heavens. You know the heavens we talked about, our we, what we know as the visible universe? Above that is the glory of God. So if we have, find it hard conceptualizing what we can see, how do we conceptualize a God that we cannot see? If we can somewhat conceptualize the amount of power it will take a craft to fly that distance to get out of the reach of the sun's gravity, how powerful is the one who made the universe? Okay. So Psalm 8 tells us that. Psalm 19 also tells us the same thing. The heavens declare the glory of God. Or Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. Okay. Connected and yet distinct from God's mighty acts in creation that display his glory, his mighty acts of salvation also declare his glory. And that's what Paul is going to focus on here. He's going to focus on the power of God that has saved us. So, Paul uses this word glory five times. Three times in verses 3 through 14 all in connection to what God has provided for us, how he has provided, secured, and ensured that we will be saved. And all for the reason to bring him glory. If you look in verse 6, well, let's start in verse 5. You'll see verse 5 starts. In love he predestined us for adoption. But then you look down into verse 6. For the praise or to the praise of his glorious grace with which he, has, which he has given to us in the beloved. Right? You get that connection? He has saved us, he has predestined us so that we will be to the praise of his glory. And then you look in verse 12. Same thing, look back in verse 11. In him we haven't obtained an inheritance. He has secured, well, he'll go on to explain, he's secured an inheritance for us. But we've obtained an inheritance so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. That's what we're looking at. And then in verse 14, in him you were sealed. So not only did he secure an inheritance for us, he sealed it, he's authenticated it, and he's guaranteed ownership of it for us, right? Who is, by the Spirit, by the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire it to the praise of his glory, verse 14. Now here's an interesting thing though. When we try to identify more closely the father of glory, when we think about our God, this is where trying to follow who Paul is really referring to gets a little more complicated. I want you to listen. I'm gonna read three passages to you and again, I'm gonna ask for your response. So get ready. Okay, Psalm 24, listen to this. Oh, I'm sorry, I believe, yeah, Psalm 24. I may need to get new glasses. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So who does the author identify as the king of glory? As the father of glory. Anybody? The Lord of hosts. How many of you have, uh, are, does everybody have ESV here today? You're all reading out of the ESV? What about the NIV? Anybody reading out of the NIV? Is the one feature, or, well, I shouldn't say the one, one feature I like about the NIV is this. Is there in the NIV, you will see Lord in all capital letters. And why you will see that is because they want to give you a clue as to who, the original word in the Hebrew, which is Yahweh. That is the personal name of God revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter three, right? So who is the king of glory? Who is the father of glory? It is Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, right? Salvation in the Old Testament was by grace through faith, just like it is in the New Testament. And that is the who is identified there. Second passage, 1 Corinthians 2. This one is very interesting. Listen to this one carefully. But we impart a secret and hidden, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Who is being identified there? Right? Any takers? The Lord of glory who was crucified. Who is it? Jesus. Can I hear that again? Jesus, Jesus our Lord, yes. And then take it, you know, count on Peter to really mess us up. Listen to Peter. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And who is it identified there? The Holy Spirit. I heard that, very faint. This is not a charismatic church, that's why. Nobody said amen. Now just as a side, this is why we believe in the Trinity because at various places, all of the functions necessary for our salvation are attributed to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Which is why it is very tricky to follow all the pronouns in Paul's prayer. But all that to say, the glory of God is revealed in every one of them, in all the persons of the Trinity. Why? Because they are of one essence. Their essence is glory. It is a radiance and a power that is beyond our imagination. 
So, what do you think of when you hear the phrase, the Father of glory? Do you think of being, as in verses 3 through 14, blessed, chosen, loved, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven by the Father of glory? Does that immediately jump to your mind? All of the blessings that you have received from God, from Yahweh, you know, praise, what is it? Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I didn't look that one up, so I can't tell you. Right out of the Psalms, okay? Do you think of being blessed in Jesus, who is the beloved of God, who demonstrates for us the grace and love of God, who is the Lord of glory who was crucified for us? Do you think of the spirit of glory who has sealed and guaranteed our inheritance? Do you believe, as is described in verse 13 of this chapter, that we are going to inherit a united and recreated earth to the praise of God's glory? We should think of all those things, not about whether or not I will get over my cold, not whether or not I will suffer from, at my age, dementia, or a heart attack, or what I'm genetically predisposed of, I found out, blood clots. You know what? Those things are immaterial. They're insignificant. Now, I'm not saying they wouldn't have an impact on people nor if people that I know and love were to die, that it would not have an impact on me. It will, and it does. But what I'm saying is that as a believer in the Father of glory, there are things that are much more important. There are things that are gonna have much more of a lasting impact. So let's take a look, let's move on. Now what does Paul specifically, that's, that's all I have to say, that's who Paul's praying to the Father of glory, but it continues in what he asks for. So starting in verse 17. So let's keep in mind, well, and, and this is where, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know who put the verse divisions in the, in the scripture, and I don't think anybody, I, I, well, we definitely know they weren't inspired, uh, but on the other hand, I don't think anybody could have done a better or worse job. So. All that to say, when I say 17, I might be kind of fudging and going back into 16 a bit, okay? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, okay? Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know. So basically, in this prayer, Paul asks for one thing. He asks for the spirit of of wisdom and revelation to be given to us. And he tells us what the purpose of that gift is for. You know, uh, Simeon, uh, you know, the guy that was jumping around up here, the little guy, he's my grandson. Uh, just as obedient as his grandfather. Just as in need of salvation, all right? It was his birthday. And so, what else do you give little boys? Audience participation. Okay, little boy, seven, very active like that. What do you give him for his birthday? Lego. Lego, you got it. That's a parent. Yes. <laughs> and as an adult male, way beyond the age of playing with toys, what's the best thing that you hope for will be given to your grandson? Lego. Lego, all right. So we did spend a little more than an hour yesterday putting together this Lego package. And we followed the instructions because that Lego package has a specific purpose in mind. It is to build something that reasonably looks like a plane. But here, Paul is asking that the spirit of glory be given to us, the spirit of glory and of God be given to us and bring to us wisdom and revelation so that we will know him that is God in his totality better. That we will be growing, that our understanding of who he is and what he's doing will be expanding. But it is very interesting, 
I believe it does even go far beyond that. Because if you look at wisdom in the Old Testament, it covers a variety of things. It covers the skill of tradespeople or artisans. You, you go read about the building of the tabernacle and the temple, and in both cases, there are individuals who are given what is described as wisdom to execute all the designs that have been revealed to the builders of those two places of worship, places where it is, we are told the glory of God dwells in that place. Okay? They're actually pictures of where all of this life God is directing it toward and he will bring it to a place where we will live in his presence without fear of death. Okay? But it also describes, wisdom describes a keen insight in how to deal with people. Right? You know, think of Solomon. And he has to make a decision between two women who are claiming one live baby as theirs. And how he does it. You know, he doesn't just tell them which. He discerns which by presenting or putting a scenario forward to deal with the situation. And he can recognize by their responses who the mother is. So he has a keen wisdom. But also it can apply to, and here I'd recommend you read Proverbs 1 or Proverbs 8. It applies to men and women who represent a way of thinking and conduct that is orderly, sensitive, and morally upright and can be characterized by the phrase that they live in the fear of the Lord. As opposed to the foolish who disregard the instruction of the Lord. Right? So we go from something that is totally beyond our comprehension, the glory of God, to something that is as simple as following the instructions. That's what he's praying for, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Now, we overcomplicate revelation, too. When I say the word revelation, what do you think of? Anybody? Unveiling. Unveiling, okay. Somebody has been doing their homework. Okay. Do you think of the end times? You know, or if you heard the word apocalypse, what do you think of? You think of mass destruction, of plagues, right? Nothing could be further from what the biblical word means. It simply means something that's previously unknown is made known. It, really, the literal meaning is if I, had, if I had one of the drapes from back there over top of this lectern, so that you couldn't see it, and you didn't know that it was there. And then I would lift the covering off. You would see it. It would be revealed to you, right? But it also can refer to something that is beyond our ability to know or to perceive, that is made known to us. And I think this is the... the the emphasis that Paul has here. How are we to understand the God of glory, the Father of glory, without him revealing himself? And who can reveal who the Father of glory is unless it be the spirit of the living God? Right? So finally, or, or finally, also in Revelation, the information that is revealed is assumed to be understood, and is assumed that we can act upon it. We know what to do with it. The other thing is, is that it is revealed to specific chosen people. You look in, if you follow the word blessed, which appears here in our passages too, Ephesians 1, and you think back to the Beatitudes in Matthew. You go to Matthew 16, where Jesus expressly tells the disciples, blessed are you because you can hear these things and understand them. 
Blessed are you because you see what's going on and you perceive what they point to. Right? This is knowledge that was beyond their ability to perceive and understand, and yet God is granting it to them. And that's what Paul is asking for here. He is asking that we be given the spirit of wisdom, that we would be skilled in living and getting along with people, but also living truthfully. And that we would have an understanding of the the workings, the plan, the will, the counsel of God that is not available to anybody unless God opens their eyes. You can even know Scripture better than anyone and still not see it. Finally, knowledge. How do we know if we know God? How do we know if others know God? I would suggest to you from our passage here and from a few passages I'm going to uh, encourage you to read, think of two things. Think of fruit and think of obedience. I think those are the most consistent ways that we can tell if somebody knows God. If you were to turn to Isaiah 11, I'll read it for you. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The recipient of this is the, a root from the line of Jesse, Jesse, David's father. So from the line of David, who is the root from the line of David? Jesus, the son of Mary, the son of God, right? And he bore fruit, and he walked in the fear of the Lord. Or Exodus chapter 20. I throw this one in because, I don't know, it's a hobby horse of mine that we understand what it means to fear the Lord. In Exodus 20, we read these things. The people say to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. You get that? You know, get somebody in between me and God because I don't want to die. They understood better than we do, I think, the power of God. It doesn't necessarily mean they learned or were more obedient. And then Moses says to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. In other words, he's telling them, fear God, so God will teach you to obey the rules. It's as simple as that. Why do I... Seek that, seek to know that, because I'm serving the God, the Father of glory. And if his glory is revealed to me in anywhere near its full extent, I will die. Remember, in, in, this, in this story in Exodus 20, if they touched the bottom of the mountain where the glory of God was being made visible on the top of the mountain, they would die. You know, do we have that sense of the Father of glory? And then finally in Colossians 1, we read this. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So how do you know if you know or if anyone else that you know knows God? Look at the fruit in their lives and look at whether or not they are obedient to what God instructs them. How he instructs all of us to love God, to love your neighbor as yourself. Really quite simple. I've been reading a book uh, by Alistair Begg. I would recommend to you, boy, you're going to have a long reading list after this service. It's called Pray Big. Learn to pray like an apostle. And he writes this. 
Prayer is spiritual, but not impractical. In fact, I think I would add it's probably the most practical thing we can do. He goes on, Beg does, and writes, when the eyes of our hearts are open to our future, it changes the way we live now. So this is the next thing that we see. Actually, it's hard in English to convey this, but having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know is, it's like you, you already have this. You, you, are, you have, uh, I don't know how to, how to explain it. It's a tense that we don't have in English. It's something that has happened in the past, but its, its results are continuing on in our lives. They're happening now, right? Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. In other words, the Holy Spirit has come in and brought light into our darkened hearts. And he's done that for a purpose. That you may know three things. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. That you may know the richness of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So those are the three things he wants us to know. But they're all connected to the Father of glory because what is our hope? What is the hope to which God has called you? you know, if you were to say in one word, what is the hope that you have? What is God going to provide for you, for me, for everyone who calls upon the name, his name? One word. Shout it out. Are you excited about your faith? Salvation. Life. Right? Is that our hope is that in Christ Jesus, the Father of glory will unite all things in him, in heaven, and things on earth. To use the words of the Lord's Prayer, we will experience totally your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That there will be no longer any sin, any sickness, any disease, any death. We will have life and life in Christ. That's our hope. What about our inheritance? Our inheritance, which is described as the richness of his glorious. The, you know, yeah, 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 of his glory. You know, you think, I, I want to turn your attention back to Psalm 8. You know, he goes through, O Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name in all the earth. Your glory is above the heavens. And then he, he asks this question further down in the psalm. He says, what is man that you are mindful of? What, you know, of what significance are we in the cosmos? You know, as much as I disagree with Bill Nye, he's right. We're a speck on a speck that's circling a speck in a speck of specks. You get the picture. And that's exactly what the psalmist asks. What is man that is you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. But notice the phrase right after that. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. Do you get that? Do we understand that? that the Father of glory is going to crown us, his inheritance, with glory and honor. He also says some amazing things here, too, that really make things confusing. He goes on to say that the Father is going to give us dominion over the works of his hands, that he's going to put all things under our feet. And yet Paul is going to pray in this prayer that all things are going to be put under the feet of who? Come on, you guys. Jesus, yes, thank you. Even sung. Jesus. 
One can only wonder. You know, I don't, I don't know how to put a value on that. How do I come to an understanding of what the value, the richness of God's glorious inheritance that I will receive being God's glorious inheritance when he crowns you and I and everyone who is called upon his name with glory and honor and dominion when we will rule again on the earth, when we will rule on the earth. Not the way we rule now. Okay. And then finally, that we will know the power of God, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul uses four words for power, but I, I don't think that this is really um, what he wants us to look at or get at. How can I put it? He uses these four th- words, four different words for power, to get us to think of the overwhelming strength and extent of and continuation, like lasting power of. Because he wants us to think this way, especially when you look at his terminology in verses 3 through 14 of being adopted. There? Oh, man, I'm glad somebody's adaptable and skilled. They have wisdom. Thank you. I think he introduces all these words for power to focus our attention upon this. I want to ask you these two questions. Do these verses, and I'll read them for you, okay, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong, wrong verses. Okay. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of his will who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And in his power, oh, man. See what a, a mic going dead does to me. Throws me way off. I'm out of here. Okay. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So from verse 19 where it talks about his power to according to the working of his great might that he worked, he uses four different words for power. But they're all pointing us to this. Do you get an impression from anything in Ephesians chapter 1 that the God and Father of glory does not have our best interests at heart? Whose, Whose behalf is he working on? That we would know his salvation, that we can be secure that we have his salvation when all we need to do is call upon him, and then he will include us in being able to give praise and glory to him. Or do these verses give any impression that there's someone or something that could prevent the Father of glory from fulfilling these plans? Nowhere. And so it's at this point, the last phrase in verse 19 and 20 through 23 that I think we see a shift. My impression of this uh, just... It, it actually came quite quickly. It was really stunning for me that it seems that Paul, while he's praying here, shifts into worship and glorifying God. That in the content of Paul's worship and prayer, it is astounding 
that he is declaring the gospel to us. That in fact, he's praying the gospel. And why do I say this? Well, you take a look at the words, the active words in those verses, 19 through 20. Look at it. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, when he seated him at his right hand, when he put all things under his feet, when he gave him. You think of all of those words of action. And then think of other passages in the New Testament, and especially passages written by the Apostle Paul. He worked in Christ. And what did he work in Christ? What did he demonstrate in Christ? He demonstrated the power of salvation. Isn't that what he writes about in Romans 1? I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And what's the foundational act, historical act that happened that secures that? He raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And not only did he raise him, he exalted him. He seated him at his right hand. The, the, the position of authority, he seated, exalted and seated the Lord Jesus at his right hand in the heavenlies. And what does that involve? It means that he has put all power and authority, rule, all of that underneath him. And he has given him a name. Again, I refer to Psalm 8. A name, the name of Jesus is above all names. And then, to our point this morning too, the Father of glory gave Jesus to us to be our head, to fill us with every blessing that there is to be had in the Spirit of God. So, with that, I want to ask that we who have heard the good news and believed, that now we will re-enter back into a time when we will rejoice, give thanks, and glorify God in song, in remembrance of his sacrifice for us through the cup and the bread, And that we would remember the blessings that God, Christ, Jesus has secured for us. All the blessings of the Spirit. And if uh, there is someone here who does not know Christ, if the Spirit has been moving in you and calling you, then I would ask you to come and talk to Jer or Dale or myself or the person who brought you here. And that you would confess Jesus as your Lord. So I'm going to ask that the, uh, Natalie and Ryan come forward again. And as they come forward, there's another way that we respond. We respond for those of us who are members and or if you call the shore home, we respond in giving. So I'd ask that you would give in the measure that the Lord has been generous to you. Um, so that we can continue to declare the power and the authority of the Father of glory, whom we know through Jesus Christ. Amen.